you are going to remember where you were right now for the rest of your life. You are listening to On the Mound with Max Stanzer, Matt Sossler, and Tommy Muma on VIC Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of On the Mound. I'm Matt Sossler, joined by Max Stanzer. Max, we got a lot to talk about. We've been on a hiatus as baseball has been on hiatus, but there's a lot of talk going on around the league about a potential return. What can you tell us about the potential return? Absolutely. And it's interesting right now. It's an argument between the owners and the players association. And, you know, I, something I first noticed, uh, Matt, that really is interesting to me is the fact that there is no other league. I mean, you may know more than me. I have not seen any other league that has let out as much information as Major League Baseball has, whether, whether it's the owners leaking the information to the media and who would write articles and tweet, you know, the different what's going on in the um, in the conversations and then the players going out on Twitch and social media sharing their uh, disagreements and sharing their side of the story, which I think it is a good thing, but at the same time is a bad thing. I think things would be much better right now if we did not know what was going on because now it's almost like an emotional roller coaster. At times we think things are going great and at times things look very bad, but I think that's how every conversation generally will go. While I do think baseball is definitely more complicated than other sports, I think at the end of the day, it will get figured out. It's just the path to it is a lot more difficult because everyone knows what's going on. Yeah, definitely. That's one thing that a lot of fans in every single sport has, have been focusing on, and especially baseball, because other sports like the NFL, NBA, NHL, they really haven't had the same issues that the MLB has had now given the NBA and NHL were less than 10 games away from finishing the regular season when this all shut down. The NFL has not even started yet, and they've been able to do their season via virtual uh, virtual medium. They've been doing their offseason and the draft and free agency and all that good stuff. So going off of what you mentioned with all the contracts, a lot of players are debating, and we've heard some players be more vocal than others, such as Blake Snell, Bryce Harper, among others. How do you think the players are going to handle the potential of them being forced to play in unsafe conditions? Meanwhile, the owners are, you know, sitting back waiting and watching this all happen. But on the other hand, these players are not like your factory worker. They're making millions of dollars at the big league level. So where do you see the sort of disparity, the irony and stuff like that in that situation? Well, what's so difficult is you can look at it from both of those perspectives and it's very difficult to pick a side. And to be honest with you, man, I'm basically right in the middle right now and I'm just waiting for it to get done because you could look at both perspectives. For example, from a player perspective, you're right. These owners are billionaires, a lot more wealthier than these players. They'll be sitting on their couches or in their press box suites watching the game from safety while these players are really opening themselves up to potentially get the virus and give that to their families, which would be absolutely terrible. Uh, so when you look at it from that perspective, sure, they, they deserve a lot more money. But at the other side of things, you look at the owners who are also losing a ton of money and the fact that this season is cut in half. So I think the players will have to take a cut eventually or at some point if we're going to play. However, where the disagreement really comes, and I'm curious to see what you think about this, is that they did agree on, I believe it was the prorated salaries 
uh, which we cut in half by 50% as the proposed season was about 82 games. But now because the commissioners off or because the owners are seeing that they're going to lose even more money, they're trying to cut that even more. And something interesting that I know you both and I learned is that in the contract, it actually does say between the negotiations that they agreed on earlier that the owners are now trying to say, it does say that if the season is, or if there's no fans, they're allowed to change more of it. But the players are upset with that. The players association's upset with that. And that's where really all this drama has started because I think they initially agreed to cut the salaries, but now it's that the owners want more. That's, as you mentioned, that's going to be a big factor. The idea of how fast are they going to be able to at least fill these stadiums to a quarter, a third of capacity even. And that's going to be a deciding factor because without fans, some franchises have reported it up to 70% of lost income will come from the fans and lack thereof. They won't be getting that money. And other franchises have reported that it's not that big of a deal. There are some teams like Tampa who really aren't being affected by this due to the idea that they're not getting a whole lot of money from gate receipts anyways. Whereas you have a team like the Cubs who we're one of those teams who are looking at upwards of 60 to 70%. And I think that's going to impact how much the players are able to leverage this situation. Because if and you're will... able to get some up out of gate receipts, then the players might have a little bit more leverage. Whereas if there's no fans in the stands, which is very, very likely, and they're not able to make that income back, it's going to be tough for the players to sort of get leverage here. And I would like to say, too, to your point, that I think that really the Rays and the Cubs are both in similar, in the same exact situation. Because at this point, before Corona, the Rays were a lot poorer compared to the Cubs, compared to the Yankees. So even though they don't get as much, you know, admission and their attendance is at the bottom of the league, along with Oakland and a couple of other uh, teams, they're going to lose more money. And now, they, since they started below the Cubs in terms of overall payroll, they're going to drop even more. And then the Cubs will drop even more. And it's almost it, – it's definitely something to look at as baseball is the only sport where the – I believe is the only sport where the majority comes from, you know, gate and tickets and so forth. Uh, but I definitely think that it's impossible at this point to include fans, at least in the first couple of months, if they start in June and go to July and so forth. But they're going to have to figure out other ways to make money because you're right. The gates are, gates are going to be really hard to profit off. Yeah, in addition to gate receipts, you also get fans buying a hot dog, a drink, and a sweatshirt for their best friend at every single game as well. So you lose that part of the revenue as well. And speaking of ways to make up revenue, we actually hit on this well before a lot of other sources got to it. And that's the <laughs> idea of planting tarps in empty seats in order to get sponsors to increase their advertising fee. We've talked about the pros of this. Obviously, it's guaranteed money, but there's also to begin with. You look at that Yankee Stadium scoreboard. I don't know why they even bother to advertise on that anymore because it's literally like little blocks of different companies that are advertising on that scoreboard. So what do you think some of the drawbacks and some of the positives of potentially tarping an entire section of a stadium with a company on it. Yeah, and to start, I think with Yankee, while they do have a lot of ads, I think they're like carefully placed given the fact that they're not going to put, you know, State Farm and Geico next to each other. I think they have Geico up there and then it's Delta and so forth. So I think they have different companies that will still work. It's just when they're flashed on TV. But yeah, you're right. Let's say, you know, you have Geico on your right field wall and then you put a tarp up and right above it, State Farm. That doesn't make any sense. And what is that? 
company going to say when you have your contract that they're paying you a ton of money to do this and all of a sudden the value is dropped by, I'd imagine, more than 50%. Something I was thinking, and actually let's finish this entire conversation too, is that I think it's just that you're going to be limited onto what companies you can advertise for and they're going to have to be spacious. It can't be like a NASCAR car. You know, you can't have like different, you know, you can't have thousands of different uh, companies logos on these tires, but I'd, I'd say it's probably fine to add like a couple, you know, but yeah, you're right. You know, something that TVs, TV networks do is they use like the batter's eye as a green screen to put uh, different logos on. Now, obviously most of the teams, some of the teams at least won't make the money from that if it's more of the TV networks, if I'm correct, but they could do something similar to that, like with the tarps. Something else I've thought about is on the pitcher's mound, you could like paint the logo of Audi or whoever your sponsor is behind that. And that'll get so much camera time because that center field camera angle is probably the most common camera angle you see when you watch a major league baseball game, at least today. Other options, put them on the helmets or the jerseys. They explored that when they had teams going to London and Japan. So there's plenty of options. Back to your tarp thing. Yeah, you can't have a thousand different logos on it. You definitely, I'd see probably only a couple at most, maybe three, if you had like one in left field, one in center field, one right field, if that makes sense. And going off of that, one thing that you have to consider is these sponsors who already have existing ad space are not going to want to lose their place because obviously, you know, I don't know, a Budweiser behind me. <laughs> I don't know how much Anheuser-Busch is going to like having another beer company put a tarp right underneath their giant scoreboard ad that exactly. is a prominent fact, ad for forever and will again become the prominent ad once fans are allowed back in the stands. And move to your left again, because this is like the prime example right here. If you're watching a game on TV and, you know, Anthony Rizzo hits a fly ball to right field, not only are you seeing that Budweiser logo above the scoreboard, you're probably going to see other logos on the tarp in the bleachers, over the bleachers. And the question is, all right, it's not really a question. It definitely hurts the value of Budweiser's uh, investment at that point, right? So, you know, there definitely will be questions about it, which is why it's almost like, Maybe you could put temporary ads up where they're only up for maybe a couple innings versus Budweiser is up the entire game. I don't know. I even say explore why I would hate this. What if you, again, they paint, you know, like in the postseason or an opening day in foul territory on the first and third base side, they paint logos into the grass. What if theoretically you had like, I don't know, like a Nike emblem in the right field corner on the grass or something, you know? So it doesn't show up every single time, but every ball time a ball rolls in the right field corner, you may see that Nike emblem pop up for a second. And if they want to go extreme, I know the Red Sox paint the Boston B in center field and it's ginormous and plenty of other teams do that as well. You do something like that. I think that's a little too excessive, but there's plenty of options for sure. Well, a lot of teams have explored doing that, especially you look at other sports, you know, the NBA, they just recently started putting ads on the shoulder of their jerseys. The NHL going up back off of TV networks imposing ads. The NHL, even the local networks, put an ad on the glass behind the goals. So going back also to on-field ads, I think that's very possible because other sports like tennis, for example, have net ads. They put ads on the court. And also for a game like baseball, yes, a giant Nike logo in the middle of the center field is going to be distracting. Yeah, But I think if you strategically place little ads everywhere, and they already have that. I don't know if you could see over this shoulder, let me, this shoulder, the Cubs have a whole bunch of ads along the back of home plate and near the dugouts. So ad placement is going to be interesting. And also the MLB has had tarps before. 
they're not ads, but you look at Oakland with the retired numbers on Mount Davis. Mm -hmm. So this is not entirely foreign to the league. And I think it's a great way to make ends meet. Yeah. And I know I talked about this and again, this is more of a situation for Oakland, but other teams could take it uh, that trick up and pulled up their sleeve as well is if you have the Matt Davis and it has the retired numbers, you could have some sort of segment where in each game, excuse me, in like the seventh inning, you talk about a Dennis Eckersley moment or a Ricky Henderson moment. And then on those tarps, you put an ad. So then when you're talking about them, you flash that, you know, camera angle and it shows, you know, I don't know the, the, Whole Foods logo or something like that. Uh, and you could do that with a lot of stuff. Um, retired numbers. Wow. Again, for example, at T-Mobile Park, they have the retired numbers in left center field. And for the Cubs, it's on the foul pole, right? You know, yeah. I, I would hate this, but if they really want to get creative, you can, again, put stuff in those areas as well. <laughs> you can put ads in those areas as well. Maybe you could even put, ah, oh, man, I don't know if this would work because if a ball hit it, but like a flag on the foul pole or something, or maybe just flags in general in the outfield that had logos on them or something like that. Stuff you could flash through because let's be, let's be real here. When you're watching a broadcast, they will show certain flags to show the way the winds blow or something like that, uh, you know, because that's important because if it's blowing in from left field, any fly ball to left field is going to probably die before it can get over the fence. So if you want to instead show a flag that has – Whole Foods logo on it and then maybe Amazon's logo on it instead of, you know, the W or whatever it is, what Wrigley has, you know, then it might make them more money, even though it kind of burns that tradition. But if that makes sense. Yeah. As you mentioned, burning tradition, let's sort of shift gears from the marketing side of baseball and more to the rules side. <laughs> and I think, you know, what the elephant in the room is here, considering the recent proposed schedules the MLB has come out with one imminent change for this season and potentially it could be a change forever I'm not a fan of it you and a lot of your Mariner Yankee American League buddies love it the idea of the universal DH how do you think this pandemic will slowly turn a lot of the traditional rules especially the DH into a universal rule and eventually how do you think that will lead to potential realignment if teams were to move or if there were to be expansions yeah and i think for starters because and this isn't guaranteed i don't believe yet but it's been proposed that certain teams will play the majority of their games if not all of their games this year in a little bubble so for example the northeastern teams will play the northeastern teams for the majority of their season in the west coast it'll be the california teams plus the mariners up in the northwest uh to reduce travel and because of that you know teams are changing leagues and it wouldn't make sense to have an american league team adjust to the national league rules because that's a bigger jump than it would be for the national league just to add a dh and because of that we're very likely to going to get the universal dh in fact i think that was part of Manfred's proposal was the universal DH. And so obviously right now that's temporary, but I do think it's something that if they don't adapt next year, that they will have to in the future. Cause I think it's just better for the game in terms of injuries, uh, viewership in terms of someone who maybe might not be interested in baseball as much, you know, they don't want to see, <laughs> I'm not going to use John Lester cause he walked off the Mariners with the walk-off squeeze, but uh, you know, they, they don't want to see, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Do people want to see Bartolo Colon hit, I don't know. Maybe they do. That's always something I've been very confused about because it is comedy and it is fun, but is it a good example of the athletes baseball can, you know, bring, I don't know. It's a difficult, it's a difficult question. 
Because as baseball fans, we love Bartolo. He's one of the most iconic players of our time. But at the same time, he doesn't make baseball players look any better when he's swinging the bat and his helmet's flying off, you know? But also, you think about it, what out of how many bats Bartolo Colon takes, a certain percentage of time he whiffs and his helmet flies off, and one out of how many at bats he's taking, he hits it out of the yard. One out of so, a million. All right, it's probably, yeah, we can look yeah. it up right now. However, um, however, how many at bats he's had, he's hit one home run. And yeah. that was an iconic moment. But I think that the negatives outweigh the positives in that case, because sure, we go back to that moment all the time, but it's an automatic out. It legitimately is an automatic out when the pitcher comes up. And to that point, I think it becomes less competitive. And not only that, but, you know, I know I've discussed this with you, and I think it's a little, you know, I don't want to say picky, but it's definitely extreme in terms of the hypotheticalness of this situation. But let's say you have, give me a pitcher that's been in the American League his whole entire career. I'll use Felix, for example, who's now in the National League. But Felix was the example that happened in real life. I was watching Mariners-Padres. Mariners lost by one run. It was like 2-1. And Felix, at that point in that game, bunted into two or three double plays. You know, he hit the ball too hard, bunted it right back to the pitcher, goes to second. Of course, Felix isn't running because he doesn't want to get hurt at first. So automatic double plays, huge momentum changer. What happens if that happens in the World Series and you're playing the Dodgers who have, you know, Clayton Kershaw, who's been hitting his whole entire career, has been bunting against live pitching his whole entire career. And then you bring um, someone else from the American League, and this guy who's never faced live pitching in, in his life since maybe high school, is now butting against 95-mile-an-hour fastballs. You know, It's definitely a disadvantage versus if you have the Universal TH and the National League goes to the American League, all they got to do is you know, throw Kike Hernandez in the lineup and have him DH or whoever it may be. Maybe not Kike because he's versatile, but you know, they can have someone from their bench come up and DH, and it's a lot much of an easier adjustment than it is for the American League to make. So that's my thought on it. And going off of that, I completely, even though I'm a National League diehard and I think that – the pitcher's batting makes it a lot, makes the manager's job a lot more relevant. It makes the hitting coaches and strategy coaches, it gives them. I agree. And it's more fun to watch that. It's definitely more fun to watch that if you know what's going on. My question is, is how many people actually know how a double switch works and everything like that? Yeah. If you add the DH, the double switch will unfortunately take a trip down, 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 and will never be seen again. (laughs) But another thing that you got to look at is, and I know you can't make this hypothetical, but if baseball started on time and was running, the, if it was a normal season, how do you think the evolution of eliminating the universal DH would be accelerated, decelerated? How do you think the speed of that would be affected? Because I have to admit, every single year and every single offseason, writers write, oh, the DH is going to go away. Or, correct, yeah, oh, the DH is going to become universal. Or the National League is rigid and won't change, or Manfred doesn't see it being changed for another five years. But now they're going to be forced to do it just because of convenience, pretty much. Yes, and I think that's – yeah, absolutely. And that makes it a lot easier for Manfred and co. I think something, and this is going to be harsh on baseball, which I absolutely love. It's my life, and I know it's the same for you. But the one thing that holds them back is the fact that they are purely based off a tradition. And because of that – They have been afraid to change too much. They don't want to anger people. But what that's been doing is that's been stopping them from evolving and staying in line with the younger generation. And unfortunately for them, they're going to have to change things. And maybe it doesn't have to be the universal DH. Maybe it doesn't have to be pace of play. But there are things they're going to need to do, knowing that they may lose some of their traditionalist fans, 
in order to make sure the game stays alive, you know, 50 years from now or so forth. And that's the biggest problem with baseball is that it, it really holds them back, in my opinion. I think they'll have to bite the bullet and just say, you know what, let's add in a universal DH or so forth. Or, well, you know what, let's add in the electronic strike zones, which I don't personally like, but they might have to do it. They might have to. And, you know, it is what it is. And I think it would end up being better for the game in the long run. Uh, so that, yeah, that, that's what I think. What do you think about that? I think, I think I agree with you. Unfortunately, you know, it's against my views, but I think that the universal DH, especially during times like this. Yeah, would, they're getting a hanging curveball right now because yeah, they really yeah, I, think, I think right now it's, as you said, it's a hanging curveball and they got to knock it out of the park because this pitcher is not going to make the same mistake twice. And <laughs> well, hopefully you never know. Yeah. Oh, hopefully. So I think they got to do it because, you know, obviously, and coming from Chicago, I'm not really affected by it because Kyle Schwarber is a natural DH sort of already. So would I love to have his bat in the lineup a lot more because of the lack of defensive worry? Yes. Would I like to not panic every time a ball is hit? It would actually be over there. Over there. Over there. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow. You never know what other teams are thinking and what other situations are. Some teams don't have that natural luxury. Every team has an additional batter, but you don't want to use the DH on a versatile mm-hmm. player. You want to be smart with how you use it. And so again, I think, I think they need to do it. It's not a wanna, but it's a gotta. I don't want them to do it, but they have to do it. I agree. And That's a good way to put it. The, evolution of the game and the evolution of the players that could be coming up because of this universal dh rule we got to talk about the another elephant in the room and that's the draft (laughs) being reduced significantly virtual and a whole lot of changes there's also reports of minor league reduction how do you think that overall regardless of the pandemic will alter the game well, it's interesting because there's a lot of moving pieces in it because not only will you be having less players entering minor league baseball, that also helps them in their goal, I should say, baseball's goal to eliminate a lot of minor league teams because then you'll have less players coming in, therefore the need for less teams overall as the future as you know, future generations come into the game. Uh, but yeah, because of the virus and the pandemic, they are shortening the draft in order to save money. I think it's like $100 million they were saving. They are saving now, which is what I was reading. And not only that, if players are not drafted, they can sign for $20,000 at most as a basically a undrafted free agent. Um, and I think some players will sign, you know, your college seniors. Or Actually, let's get to that in a second here. But the big difference is, is $20,000 is nothing in comparison to the $3 million signing bonus one player may get if they are drafted in the final pick of the fifth round, which is the difference between a potential unsigned free agent prospect and the difference between the last guy picked in the draft. That's like $2.5 million. And because the NCAA is granting them uh, a year back of eligibility, I think a lot of players may actually go back, get stronger, get better, hopefully stay healthy, and then hope that the draft will be 40 rounds again next year and that there will be more money and that they'll be able to get drafted and get more than the 20K. So the 20K is nothing. That is nothing, especially during a time where the economy is incredibly low, and that's why they have MLB has to do that. But 
it's going to be interesting how negotiations go for sure, especially for high schoolers. That's another thing to figure out. And a lot of leagues like basketball, the NBA, they have sort of been migrating away from the college game. A lot of players are going overseas, are going to the new G League program in order to make an extra year of money as opposed to going to top schools in the NCAA and risking injury and Mm -hmm. resulting in impact in the draft stock. So I'm curious, because the MLB is migrating towards a model that we've seen done in the NFL, done in the NBA by significantly reducing draft spots. And I know the NFL has no minor league system. The NBA has one tier of minor league and baseball before the reductions had four or five. Yeah. And I think they, I'm actually curious. I don't know exactly what they've been. Well, this year they're basically going to have almost nothing. I think they're going to have, taxi squads of borderline players at AAA. And then I think they'll have some prospect like academy type thing, maybe at spring training facilities for them to stay in shape and work out. But there's definitely, I don't think there's going to be any organized games for minor leagues. No, I think especially what you're dealing with there is you're dealing with, you know, in the major leagues, you can say, okay, even though it's non-traditional, we're going to put teams in geographic pods. Yeah. Whereas minor leagues, even though it'd be theoretically easier to do that, given the multitude of them it's again like the travel think about the mets where their triple a affiliate is in las vegas that's across the country that's sorry sorry i think no no no, i think nationals is in syracuse i could be wrong but i think the mets triple a is the las vegas 51s maybe it's their double i'll I'll take a look at that i think they moved they moved okay syracuse mets um yeah, no, you could be correct on that. But, yeah, uh, at one point, though, I guess their affiliate was in Las Vegas. Yeah, that, just a couple of years ago. Yeah, so that's a big problem. Especially, in, I wouldn't be surprised if there's other teams around where they have the same issue. And you're also looking at different governmental restrictions. Like, you look at the Cubs, for example. The Cubs, three affiliates. You got Iowa. You have Tennessee. Myrtle Beach, Eugene. I've covered every region in the United States by just naming those four teams. Oh, and I apologize. They're an affiliate of the Athletics now. My fault. Okay. Still, but still, even though that's a lot closer than New York, that's still pretty far. So that's another reason why. And also, you'd rather – you want less players exposed. It comes down to that. Yeah. Absolutely. And eventually, I think it'll make a comeback. Hopefully, next season, they'll be able to play – normal minor league baseball and i think it's great i think it's a completely different environment the communities the small towns the fans all of it is great and going to a specific example though sort of ironic and contrary to what i said the mets announced that they're moving their double a affiliate to brooklyn there's a lot of thoughts on that because they had them in binghamton binghamton the rumble ponies were a phenomenal franchise they essentially ruled southern new york baseball how and we really don't see it where an affiliate that can hold 40-man players plays in the same city as the Major League affiliate. How do you think this will make a difference in the Mets organization? Yeah, it's actually very interesting. I, I mean, I think it'll make it – so it's their double-A team, right? Yeah, so it's going to be interesting if you won't – I mean, some guys get promoted from double-A to the big leagues, but it's not that big of a difference. Maybe we'll give them the city life and help them adjust to that quicker, you know, because it's a lot different, you know. Uh, it's a lot of it's a different environment going from you know southern new york to the city uh but you know i mean for example for the mariners it's seattle and tacoma which is relatively close i'd say it's 
probably around 30 minutes, which is probably the same distance from Queens to uh, Queens to Brooklyn. But yeah, I mean, I think it hurts more Binghamton than it does hurt the Mets organization because they're probably making that move because it's better for the franchise, right? And I think it'll be better for the players in the long run, potentially, because it does give them that atmosphere, which could be quite over, overwhelming if one, you're a foreign player who has never been in an atmosphere like that. And two, maybe you've never been to New York City before. And it's a lot to, you know, grasp at, especially if you're a young kid at 20, 21 years old, you know, and that's the first time you're experiencing that. Uh, but no, I, I think it'll be fine in the long run. It's more of that. It's just devastating to the cities that are losing their minor league teams because at points, that's all they have. You know, Brooklyn more specifically has the Nets, but being more broad, they have the Mets the Yankees, uh, the Knicks, and so forth. And they have all these teams that, you know, they don't necessarily need a minor league team versus Binghamton. That's one of the only, you know, not only just one of the only sports teams they have, but probably generated a lot of revenue for them as well. And they're losing that, which is, which is very sad. And for sad for a lot of cities around the country. Yeah, especially, as you mentioned, those small towns who don't have much. You know, Binghamton recently acquired an AHL team, the affiliate of the Devils, but still, the Rumble Ponies, the Binghamton Mets, whatever edition of that franchise you want to talk about, they've been there for a really, really long time. And I've heard that there are some talks of them going into indie ball, which still, that at least solves the problem of, oh, you can still employ the ushers, you can still employ the concession workers. You can still use the stadium. Work. That's another thing. You don't want that thing to just catch dust. Or, I mean, high school games are great. I'm sure high schoolers would love to play there, but like, that's not going to generate you any money. And that stadium just going to be sitting there, you know, rotting. You know, you know, you don't want that. So yes, hopefully they can get some indie ball going on there, or some sort of competitive ball that will draw in attendance. But it's a difficult situation to say the least. Yeah, it's a very it's a very difficult situation to say the least. And I know we've gone round and round with this over our conversations in the past few weeks, but at this point in time, at 323 Central Time on Friday, May 22nd, do you think that there's a chance that we will see live major league baseball this season? I do. I do. I think they're going to work it out. I think the fact that they've shared so much with through the media with the fan base uh tells me that it's optimistic we're hearing players uh go out and say austin hedges came out and said that things are really working out and they're very optimistic Uh, and multiple players have said the same thing which is a good sign given that you know generally the players you've seen like a dark storm cloud around them because they've been upset with how everything's going on so the fact that in the last week things are getting a little bit more positive obviously i'm pretty sure uh tony clark probably told players not to say anything like Blake Snell did, because I think it just makes the situation worse. But we haven't heard anything negative, only positive in the last couple of days. It would be an incredibly terrible look for baseball to not play because of money, given the fact that the entire country is way worse off than players who are making millions and the owners who have billions. And in that case, I think the owners will end up having to bite the bullet, swallow the pill, and give the players a little bit more than they want to. I truly think that's how it's going to end up, especially since the Players Association is so powerful too, and they seem to win every argument with the – You know, it changes every single day. That is very true, yeah. Like one day you wake up and you you think, okay, I think it could work. And the next day you wake up and you read something and you say, oh, no way, this is going to work. My opinion is I think that there's a chance. I think that as – cities and towns are beginning to lift their restrictions. Governor Cuomo of New York 
hinted at a chance for some live sports in New York in the near future. Same with a bunch of other governors and a bunch of other mayors and cities. But my thing is, is I would love to see live baseball this year. Trust me, nothing would thrill me more. Live Major League Baseball before the year's out. However, given that money is an issue and given that there are so many other intangibles that they have to deal with, I would rather have a no season and a great season than two shortened seasons because of a money dispute. Even if the pandemic significantly improves, even if they come out with a vaccine or a treatment and they're able to resume life as normal as possible before next March, I, the last thing that I want, the last thing that you want, and the last thing that any MLB player, executive owner, team, anyone who loves baseball to ha- it yeah. would want to not have a shortened season because of money, especially after Absolutely. this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, the one thing I'm the most scared of that you touched on a little bit is like a strike. We don't want to have what happened in 94 slash 95. And, you know, we know that was the, the reason because of that was the salary caps. And it's very similar right now. We're in the same bubble talking about, excuse me, the players' contracts and so forth. And it, that's, that's what scares me the most because the worst scenario ever would be, don't play this season. And they waste a ton of time arguing to the point where everyone's like, okay, they accept it. And they're just looking forward to the next season. And all of a sudden you go on strike and then you miss an entire season, not because of Corona, but because of money once again, and that they cannot come to an, to a dang agreement that really would frustrate me and would destroy this fan base that has already been notoriously slowing down and backing away from this game. They need, they're trying to do things to, grow it and make it better and adjust and evolve like I mentioned earlier and this right now they could go two directions they could not play and just let everything blow by and that would not be great but it wouldn't be bad or they could go down and lose a lot of fans in my opinion and anger a lot of fans for something that is important but not as important as what's happening in America right now I completely I completely agree with you the last thing that and again, I sound like a broken record. You'd rather have a no season and a full season than two partial, not good seasons. And another thing that the MLB has, I don't know if it's an advantage or a disadvantage, and you can, you can share your opinion on this, but they didn't get cut off midseason. They didn't, they're not waiting for anything to happen. So that's sort of, it's a double-edged sword. You know, do you want to wait and let the NFL set their feet in first, considering that it's so much easier for them logistically to play? You know, they have their schedule based in weeks. And so they can literally move it around whenever they want. Obviously, the playing the game of football is a lot more difficult when, pand- when a pandemic exists because there is so much physical contact as opposed to baseball. But... I would, yeah. From a logistical standpoint, I would say it's more difficult for baseball than any other sport at this point right now, because NHL and basketball and NBA have had at least half of their seasons, right? So they've been able to make some money off of that. NFL hasn't started yet, but it's later and they have the ability to push it back even further if they need to. So they should be able to get half a season right now, at least it's looking optimistic for baseball. This is at the worst time because they were just starting. And you're almost running out of time. They have a smaller window than the NFL and they haven't even played any games yet. So they have a longer season and they haven't made any money. So they can't even go off of that. And I think because of that, they're starting in a bigger hole 
and there's a lot to lose at the same time, but you've already lost a lot too. So it's really, what do you want to take? It's, it's exactly a double-edged sword. Do you want to take the risk and have baseball shine and be the only sport on and be the one that sets the example for other sports, but at the same time have a huge risk of it all blowing up? I don't know. And that's a decision that Manfred and those guys have to make. And at this point, it seems they're dedicated to get it going. So I think they're past that, and they think that it will work out if they play on the field. Now the question is, is can they agree, come to an agreement with the PA? That's, that's, that's the big thing, I think, right now. That's another – yeah, that's another thing is it's all – at this point, I personally think it's all about getting those contracts down, getting the agreements, knowing who's going to make what, how the revenue is going to be shared how sponsorships are going to work, TV deals, all that good stuff. Something else too, might I add, sorry to interrupt you, but also the player safety too, because I, there are rumors now that like players won't be able to shower in the locker room and will have to wait to go home or their hotel and so forth. Obviously no spinning, which I think is necessary. No high fives or limited high fives. That's necessary. Sitting in the stands is necessary. The shower thing though, that's a little interesting to me. I get it, but that w- imagine catching a full game and 20 pounds of gear on a, you know, a 85, 90 degree day in Chicago where I'm imagining it's pr- quite humid out there and you can't shower and you're just like a, you know, you're a water bottle driving home in the taxi or walking home or whatever, you know, that is something interesting that they definitely will have to argue about as well, but go on. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm shifting points because I actually was going to hit on this soon, but with regard to player safety, that's another big issue as well, because Yes, without fans, it is a lot easier to social distance. You can have the non-active players in the stands spread apart. And as you alluded to, you know, no showering, no spitting, no high-fiving. Like, the spitting and high-fiving going off of a control aspect, like, those two things in baseball, while one is disgusting and one is, you know, absolutely an awesome way to celebrate, (laughs) like, they're second nature at this point. To all these ball players, like I'm sure pitchers baseball, lick their fingers all the time know? too to get a better grip, and that's second nature. They're not. It's gonna be hard for them to stop that, you know. And also, it's not only second nature; it's habitual. In baseball, habits rule more than anything. Every batter has his routine before he steps up. Every pitcher has his routine before he throws, and you know a lot of these routines involve stuff like that. So it's interesting. You know, we saw professional soccer return in Germany last week, and it was sort of anticlimactic. Now it was great that soccer, that live soccer was back, live sport was back, but it's like, you know, a player scores a spectacular goal. And now what? Yeah. Like like, they're like, they're like celebrating from a distance, which is great. You love it. But it's like in under normal circumstances, it's like, man, this player would be doing laps around the field. The fans would be going nuts. You got a walk off home run, a walk off RBI single. Oh, that, like you literally get everyone there. <laughs> like, yeah, they're not going to be dogpiling or chasing after each other. What happens when, let's just say, Yankees-Dodgers World Series. Obviously, that's the easy pick for the AL and NL winners this year. Yankees win the World Series in Yankee Stadium. Nobody in the crowd, and they're not even allowed to celebrate. You know, maybe shake hands, but that's probably about it. Are they just going to be sitting there, like, pounding their chests, glory to God, by themselves with no one around? Or are they good? I don't know what they're going to do. It's something going to be, that's going to be interesting to see. Yeah. And another thing, circling back to your shower topic, I personally think, you know, yes. I mean, I don't have catching experience. I'm not the catcher in this chat. You're the catcher in this <laughs> conversation. But 
I don't know. Like it's sort of a little league nostalgia kind of thing where you get in the car, true. you're all sweaty, <laughs> and then you gotta take a long car ride back to the hotel or your house. I think they can live with it. I just think it's more of they don't want to. And they don't have to. to. And also, who knows? Maybe locker like from what I've heard, clubhouses might not exist. Like you might see, you know, I might be walking down at Oh Walking down goodness, Sheffield and Waveland one day, and I might see Ian Happ get out of his car in full uniform and jog into Wrigley Field. Wouldn't that be cool? That would yeah. be wild. That'd Didn't be they so do cool. that with rookies, sent them to Starbucks or something like that in full uniform? That yeah, was, they did. Cool. It was actually, it was a White Sox, I recall them doing. Like, some, someone in the White Sox organization did that and made them go to Starbucks in full uniform. So that'll be definitely, it'll be interesting to see because – I think they'll definitely figure out a place for them to change. Like, think about this too, and I know you and I discussed this, but to bring it up on here, they have the entire concourse to work with, whether that is an extended bullpen or whether that is changing opportunities or, you know, a batting cage or a bullpen you could put in there, like I mentioned. There's a lot of space where they could do stuff now that they don't have fans that they, you know, did before. And that's why, you know, something we also talked about is managers and how they're pretty vulnerable to the, to the disease, given that a lot of them are up there in age. Uh, and it's, I think, something that people are forgetting about a lot. Because of that, you're going to have to space everything out. Uh, I'd imagine that the manager, maybe another coach, are in their own little bubble corner of the dugout. And maybe the starters are in the other, you know, half of it. Uh, or maybe they're in the stands like they're proposing. But everyone could be spaced out. And that's what's nice about not having fans. It's actually quite a luxury given the circumstances. And maybe a reason maybe why they don't even let fans in the first place. What if – this works. And what if they're like, you know what, this is the safest way possible. Maybe we don't need fans. Maybe then they cut the stadium in half and let the fans sit in the outfield or something. I don't know, but you know, something like that. Could you see that happening? I could see that happening. I think that's where they're going to start. I think, as you mentioned, they may have taxi squads earlier. I think that they're going to have the inactive roster in the stands ready to go. I think that the thing that stinks about baseball that they can do in every other sport is they can have coaches up in the press box. Yeah. You know, baseball, you can't, can't afford to do that a, because you don't want another Houston Astros incident happening, <laughs> happening and B you can't, it's hard to coach from a distance in baseball. You could. I wonder if managers and teams would be okay. If they could coach up there as long as there was supervision from Major League Baseball watching everything they did because that could prevent Houston Astros-esque scandals with sign stealing and so forth. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. And I think the way baseball is you know, designed and the nature of it, it's hard to have a manager up there in the booth. You know, like It's all about calming your pitcher down, going for mound visits and everything, which could be a problem themselves. Uh, seeing the game close on the field, knowing – how people are doing in current moments and everything. Because with a play, you know, the players, like, for example, in football, when you're calling plays, the players have those plays memorized, and you really just have to, to communicate that with them. Let's do play A or play B. In baseball, it's a lot more philo philosophical and uh, emotional, if that makes sense. I feel like when managers are making decisions and talking to players, and that's very important. Uh, you know, for example, uh, in the World Series – uh, documentary with the Cubs, David Ross, there's a part of him going mic'd up to Joe Maddon saying that's some of the best stuff I've ever seen in my life, talking about John Lester and his bullpen. That's something you wouldn't be able to do if the manager was upstairs. But because of that, you can communicate like that. And that's something that I think would be lost. Yeah, totally. And that's another thing that the players and the, and the staff need to look for. And that's overcrowded dugouts. It's how many people can you have in the dugout? How many people do you even want in the dugout? 
how will space be utilized? Again, we talked about the concourse. We talked about the lower level seats. And I think that's the safest way to play. You know, unfortunately, there are managers, as you mentioned, that are of that vulnerable population. But I think, I think they can make it work. You know, obviously, it would be terrible to have Joe Madden in the press box for the Angels. But, you know, I I'm think, sure he wouldn't like that either. Yeah, Phil Regan for the Mets, even though he's a pitching coach, still not being able to, you know, Noah Syndergaard gives up 18 runs, or correction, he's out this year, but let's say Jacob DeGrom gives up 18 runs in the first inning. And maybe that's something that Madden could have noticed if he was on the field seeing Jacob close up or seeing his reaction or body language to something. But when you don't have that and you're hundreds of feet away and two stories up, you can't pick up on those same things and those same sort of small little hints that maybe a pitcher would give up or something. Or maybe if you're a pitching coach and Jacob DeGrom is flying that left shoulder open, sure, you may be able to see it on the TV replay, but if there's something so little and we know how – you know, how specific pitching mechanics and hitting mechanics can get and how impactful they can be. The difference of closing your front shoulder here to here could be the difference in three or four miles an hour for some guys. Maybe it will be more difficult for a pitching coach to see something like that if he's viewing from, you know, that home plate view uh, behind the plate 200 feet away. Uh, so, you know, you could argue at the same time, though, it might be easier if you have the slow motion replays. But then again, how do you communicate that to the pitcher? Are you going to have earphones or something to contact with them like the NFL players have in their helmets. No way. You cannot have that in baseball. So I don't know. I don't think that would work. No, I don't. After breaking that down. Yeah. Real quick. Um, we've talked about as of late, the new technological advancements now, instead of spinning from a precautionary side now to an opportunity side, given that there will very, very likely most likely not be any fans in the stands. And they're still going to broadcast the games. What enhancements do you think? Because both you and I know that calling a game with no fans is just dry. Yeah. What do you think the MLB and the broadcast teams can do in order to make the broadcast more interactive and better, considering that they don't have that crowd noise to support them? Yeah, uh, of course, you could utilize Twitter, which I think has changed the way people watch sport games. Uh, in any sport, really, whether it's just, you know, tweeting your opinions out, teams could get interactive, they could, uh, you know, have little competitions or quizzes or polls or something like that. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, another cool thing that they really explored in spring training this year and have done in all-star games is miking up the players and talking to them. During a regular season game, I don't know if it would work as well just because the players want to focus, but it's definitely something you could see more of. Like, for example, maybe – you Darvish pitched yesterday, so he has four days off. You can have him come on and talk from the dugout and maybe talk to his fellow other pitchers who, you know, aren't starting that day. Uh, stuff like that to show more player personalities would really make up for the lack of fans. Uh, you know, and I think, again, more storytelling. We've seen the KBO prod broadcasts on ESPN. You know, Carl Ravitch and Boog Jambi have been doing phenomenal jobs along with uh, Perez and uh, Mendoza as well as the colors. Uh, and, again, what I've noticed is, a lot of it is just telling stories and having to get creative with what you're talking about. Because one, they probably don't know as much about these Korean players because, you know, besides the handful of guys like Preston Tucker and co who have played major league baseball, most of them are foreign. But what they can talk about is research a little bit on this player and then go deep into their experiences, connecting it to major league baseball, which is what most of the audience knows about, uh, which can make it more interesting and intriguing. Uh, and I think baseball broadcasters are the best at it. At it 
out of all other sports because baseball has so much dead time in between. You have to fill it in with stories. And I think it'll, it will just definitely be more storytelling. That's what I think. I completely agree. I think you listen to people like, as you mentioned, Mendoza, Ravitch, all those broadcasters. I was watching uh, ESPN last night and I was listening to Bob Costas tell a story about his father and his gambling addictions. Now, I know that doesn't have anything to do with Korean baseball or anything like that, but, you know, it's midnight. Yeah. I got nothing better to do. And I'm listening to Bob Costas tell a story about how his dad bet a whole lot of money on an out-of-town game and how they monitored that and how the times were different. I don't even think it needs to be about the game, but like, no, it could be anything. You literally, if you, as long as you're watching the game, and I, it's turning into a talk show, in my opinion. Exactly, it's a. Talk, I think maybe a especially talk on TV, baseball game, especially on TV, because radio you do have to peep in and say what's happening. But when you're on TV and the game's right in front of you, if you can connect it to the game, great. If not, and you go on some crazy tangent, at this point, I think it's okay, especially if you're, you know it's a 10 run game and it's blown open and you know, there's really nothing in the game to talk about at that point. And I think that is what's interesting. That's what separates great baseball broadcasters from good baseball broadcasters, because there will be guys who have great voices, make great calls, but the nitty gritty is, you know, what you can talk about in between and how you can, you know, make a connection to the viewer, because let's say your broadcast, it's a Cubs game, a marquee, you know, obviously that's going to be tailored more to, people from Chicago you could talk about you know maybe the small little bakery down the street that you know you heard David Ross loves to go to and now that's out of business and even in order to promote it maybe or maybe it's struggling or something in order to promote it you talk about all these stories about it and again people connect to that because they know that bakery or that's right across the street from them or something like that again nothing to do with baseball but if you can connect it to the players and the lives of the listeners I think that definitely is something that people will love and continue to stay tuned for. Yeah, and also we've talked a lot about revolution. We've talked about talked about this pandemic accelerating the advancement of baseball broadcast and the game in general. And I'm curious if, you know, once fans come back, obviously you're going to want to have those iconic calls. You're going to want to have the fan, the crowd noise and all that good stuff on the broadcast. But I think it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how this changes the TV form of broadcasting. Like how much does an analyst role change from, Mm -hmm. you know, with everyone on TV, you know, you and I, we may know why Anthony Rizzo chokes up on his bat with a two strike count, but for anyone else watching at home, I feel like they're going to become more of the dominant voice because you know, there's not that much of an atmosphere going on. And I think game. it's going to be a lot of more graphics as well, uh, pop-up screens with different stats and stories and so forth, a lot of quotes. Uh, and I think it's because you just want more to talk about. When you have the crowd in the game, I feel like that was always something, if you're a broadcaster and you run out of things to say, talk about the crowd, whether it's full of Yankees fans in T-Mobile Park or it's electric, it's – you could hear a pin drop because, you know, they're losing by 10 runs. That is something you could always rely on and go to and go into deep depth about. But without that, 
they have to find different stuff to talk about. And I think with that, they're going to get more innovative and talk maybe more about sabermetrics. And maybe you could have a whole broadcast. And again, I know they do separate broadcasts for this on ESPN um, with, uh, with, uh, with the Home Run Derby and a couple of selected games where they talk about the sabermetrics and they kind of go into more depth about the stack cast revolution, exit velocity, loss, launch angle, WOBA, whatever you want, you name it, they got it. Maybe they could do a whole broadcast where they teach you about, you know, you know, I don't know what it is, range factor, uh, WOBA, and so forth, and try to expand the knowledge of that. Or maybe you have a whole broadcast tailored to talking about you have old guys come in. Like, for example, for, uh, I don't know, the Yankees, you could have, I don't think, or Jeter probably would never because he owns no, the Marlins, but you could have like Posada and Pettit come in. And you have Michael K hosting it, but Posada and Pettit may carry the show with stories of the good old times or something like that. Or talking about comparing today's game to when they played back in the 90s and late 2000s. Stuff like that I think could be really fun for fans. I completely agree that supplemental material is going to make – it's going to completely change – it could completely change broadcast. You know, a lot of teams have been looking at three-man booths, and I wouldn't be surprised if that sort of becomes a more natural idea with multiple analysts, you know, if you get two analysts that share something in common like Pettit and Jeter, it's going to really enhance the broadcast. So we've talked a lot about COVID and how baseball will be impacted, whether for better or for worse. And before we end this thing, any final thoughts about the current situation in baseball? Yeah, I just to sum things up for me, at least things are tough right now and it's kind of hard to put your finger on it because we don't really know what's going on besides, you know, like as Matt said earlier, he said it perfectly. It really changes every day. We, I have no clue what's going to happen. However, I'm going to stay positive and, and trust that they're going to make the right decision. I think that's the, the most we can do at this point and just have a little faith in them and trust that at the end of the day, everything will be okay. And they'll make sure that we get baseball back in the right form, whether that is in two weeks from now in spring training or three months from now, or next season, or in 2022, who knows? It will be back, and it'll be better than ever. That's the way I'm looking at it at this point. Yeah, I can't echo that more. As you mentioned, it's not the best decision. It's not the worst decision. It's only the right decision that matters. And a lot of a lot of movies, a lot of films, a lot of culture have said that sports and baseball in specific has marked the time. And <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. One film specifically. One film specifically, I don't know if you get the get the illusion there, but <laughs> yeah, hopefully baseball baseball will be back and making progress towards at least somewhat of a 2020 season, if not as you said, a 2021 or a 2022 season. As soon as hopefully this all blows over, and obviously there's much more important things going on right now than a bat and a ball on a field of grass and dirt. But <laughs> again, hopefully baseball will be back and will be back sooner than we think. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of On the Mound. For Max Tanzer, I'm Matt Sossler. We'll be sure to get more episodes out as the world of baseball is changing rapidly, day-to-day, hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute. We'll be right here with you guys covering all the action. Again, for Max Tanzer, I'm Matt Sossler. Enjoy your Friday. Have a good weekend. And let's hope that we can all be together soon talking live baseball.